Welcome to the Mangina Dialogues. I am your host, Greg Alperin, with your new, brand new, good-looking co-host, mm. yeah. the chief of staff, mm. the booker, mm. the man on all the news channels, Ugh. John B. What's Thank up, John? You. I'm doing good, man. Everything's good. When you started saying good-looking, I was like, are you going to introduce Matt? <laughs> like, what's going on with that? Uh, but, dude, Greg, thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to have signed uh, uh, on board as uh, your new co-host. This Thanks. is great. This is I great. Can't wait. Yeah, man. Can't uh, wait. A lot, of, a lot of fun stuff. Greg, we've been working with each other for a couple of, I was to say, about a year now. Yeah, wow. And we've done some great things, and we'll introduce Matthew in a little bit. You know, one of our first pro- programs up there was uh, was with Matthew, but uh, this is this is fun. I'm, I'm excited to meet your listeners, and yeah, for them to know me and for me to know you guys as well. Yeah, can't wait. So... Anyone who can't see this, you're um, missing out on one of the ugliest guys in comedy. Oh, stop it. What's um, that? I was going to talk about myself. Ah, sorry. <laughs> and then introduce our, our first guest, Matthew Broussard, who you recognize, I'm sure, from an insane amount of amazing appearances on Comedy Central, Roast Battle, Late Nights, shows, Conan, Fallon, all kinds of stuff. What's up, Matthew? I was trying really hard not to sneeze during the intro. <laughs> as soon as you turn on the microphone, I had to sneeze, and then that would that would have blown the whole thing. Yeah. So Greg would have I'm, to read. I'm glad I held out. Now I look like I'm crying a little bit. Uh, I'm. Thank you for having me. It's really exciting to be here. You forgot um, uh, Central Park White Claw salesperson right. for John. Yes. That was what he did over the summer. He would sell White Claws out of a cooler to people yeah. at the park. I really would. I would just walk by, and it was just like I remember going to the park and like the it, during the summer times and watching those guys like sell beer and right. like margaritas. And I became one of those people <laughs> mm-hmm. that was selling margaritas and white claws in the park. And uh, you know what? God bless him for the hustle. Like that, that dude. And God bless everybody that did the hustle in the parks like this whole summer. I mean, I got some really good weed actually right underneath that tree. Well, I, apparently I owe you some money for some white claws because I just took them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't realize they were for sale. Yeah. I just figured it was a, a case of white claws. I'm I, thought, I thought the city paid for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah SBA loans paid for it actually. <laughs> I, thought was, I thought that was de Blasio's middle ground. <laughs> Ugh, I don't even want to talk about him right now. So for people who don't know what we're talking about is uh, Stand Up New York. John is the booker and, and chief of staff for Stand Up New York. They did everything and basically are responsible for keeping comedy alive summer 2020 until today. They ran how many? 500 shows? 500 plus. Yeah, 500 plus shows. At parks? Just... Not even, not even like sanctioned because it couldn't be an event. You just had to walk out with a speaker, set it down, and start talking into it. Do you, I do you even remember when we first started in Central Park? We didn't even have a microphone. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah. One of the first shows that I think you did there, you were just kind of because I remember there's this great picture of you doing your bits. Uh, I think it was the IUD bit, and you were yeah. holding out like that. No yeah. mic. Yeah, I love performing without a mic. Actually. Really? Yeah, it's ha- happened to me three times in the last two weeks that the mic gave out or was crackling, and you put it down. And the crowd thinks you're like a. Thinks you're so uh, improvisational, ah. and they think you're so in command of the room. You're like, ah, I have, I, like, I don't need a microphone. My voice is very loud. Do you know what's funny? There's a comic who happened to be on a show called Entourage who has me cut his mic specifically so he can do um, this bit, uh, essentially. So he pretends the mic cuts out. Yes, but wow. I actually cut the mic for him, and then when he finishes the bit, which I know the bit, I 
bring back the mic up. God, well, now I think a lot less of Turtle. <laughs> um, you sure it's not Piven? <laughs> what was that? No, nothing. <laughs> I'm not, I can't say any names, but I think we can all we can all decipher who, the, who that is. I won't even start. Uh, whatever. So, Matthew, you're you're from Jersey. Right. No, you're, no, I was ah, born there. Look at that. The, yeah, I was born there, but I left by, by, before I was three, so I don't okay. remember. So you don't. Remember. My birth certificate but you were says born that. In Jersey. I was born in Jersey, and I'm I'm happy to have returned to the Northeast. It yeah. feels like uh, this is where New, I should be. I grew here. up in New Jersey. It's um, always good. I mean, I live in Jersey now, but I remember one of the first things that I probably read the same bio that you did, Greg, and I was like, oh, cool, he's a Jersey guy. Nope. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> I do get asked now whenever when I talk to people now, I, I get that a lot where people are like, "So you from New York originally?" And it's so flattering. Oh, I don't know why. <laughs> I used to, people used to say, "Are you what are you from California?" And that hurt my feelings oh. for some reason. You have this kind of Westchester vibe to you. To be honest with you, like you hmm. like you have old money looks. Definitely. But that could be a Southern thing. Yeah. yeah, it could be. I mean, but like, we're not exposed to that. So yeah. as like, as a New Jersey person, if I was to see you like out on Seaside, I'd be like, ah, oh, look at this guy from Westchester over yeah. here, you know, New Rock. Well, I mean, I, I grew up in the South and, you know, for, like I went to a private school in the South. So a lot of, I hated those people so much. And now I style myself like them. You always, <laughs> you always try to look like the people you, you ever have that where you, you dress like the people you hate? Yes. Yes. I and, and, yeah. Southern preppy is very similar to Northeastern preppy, but uh, Southern preppy is like um, if Northeastern preppy was colorblind. It's like a lot of not matching pastels, just loud colors, seersucker shorts. It's it's a tackier version. You have this houndstooth jacket, I believe I saw. Uh, yes. Yes, and I saw that. I'm like, yo, that takes... Yeah, respect That's, on that, man. Thank you. I considered that. That was for me like a like a more inventive. Like that was outside my normal comfort zone of style. It's okay. very like a. It's, it's the the brand's called London. So or no no, it's called London Wax. So if, that Plus feels like London a, Wax. London Wax. <laughs> give me free shit. Um, and yeah, that that was just like a, I felt like a like a fancy chimney sweep. <laughs> With the terrible accent from uh, Mary hey, Poppins. Yeah. Was You're it? right there, Dan. You're right then. <laughs> no, but like uh, you know, it's funny. It's like one of the first experiences that I saw Matthew was the um, the evolution of the hairstyle. Oh yeah, evolution of douchebag style. Of douchebag style. style. Yeah. yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Greg, have you seen that? No, I don't think so. Oh, it's great, and like it just takes you through this whole thing. And like in the eighties, I just didn't change a thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the eighties was just me wearing Ray Bans. <laughs> yeah, the, it was the cheese dick smile. Yeah. <laughs> but like shaving the mustache and everything was like, I mean, like when it when it went into the seventies and everything. But that was one of my first experiences. But then, um, and we've talked about this in other podcasts, Greg. I apologize, but. Um, Chris Barnes, who uh, is a comic here at the club, he's the one that kind of introduced uh, you to our world, uh, at least the state of New York world. Yeah, he and I are kindred souls and our uh, lanky, awkward white guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, it's funny how it kind of, uh, you know, uh, kind of moves on. I mean, over the summer, we became a little bit better friends. And then um, one of our first shows was with Greg over at uh, FTC, and yeah. dude, we're so we're, we were so stoked, and that was a great show, man. Yeah, it was amazing. I, had, was I mean, I can't tell you. I obviously I knew a lot of people in the room, and so many of them came up after me and was like, "Man, when's Matthew coming back?" Like, Aww, that was yeah, awesome. See? He was so good. Nothing against Shane, of course. Of course, Shane of course. Shane was so good. <laughs> Shane oh, was awesome too. But I mean, uh, that was uh, that 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 whole that whole like kind of dynamic, and and I was so happy to have both you and Shane there. Yeah. The calling, like giving the notes, was was. Mwah. So good. Like, there's, yeah. there's nothing like... And I know you enjoy doing that, actually. You enjoy yeah. those kind of 
live feedback. Yeah, sneaking it. You have you basically have five minutes to come up with a joke that everyone thinks you 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 came up with on the spot. Right. 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 Yeah. That's like it's like judging roast battle where you get to. Sure. You get to seem so much wittier than you yeah, are. It was funny. Me and John were sitting up there and we like look at each other at some point and we're like. No, we we should just sit backwards. Yeah, and <laughs> let these two. Yeah, because initially we were both in front, and then I was like, I was like, let's switch. There was let's nothing I was going to come up with that would even have been close to like scratching the tip. So I mean, Matthew, uh, one of the, one of the big things I, I do have a question about is like, you know, you you moved up here. Uh, well, I mean, I know I know a little bit more about your past than being in Houston and then kind of moving up here, moving to LA, then here to New York. Mm-hmm. But what we don't really talk about is that. You 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 grew up in Georgia, if that's correct. So what, what is, <laughs> from, ages, from ages three to thirteen, I lived in Corpus Christi, Texas. Aha. When I was thirteen, I moved to Georgia. Okay, and then that's where you attended high school. Yes. And that was uh, was that a prep school? That was a prep school. Because I'm just basing this also off of your album as well, where you yeah. talk about uh, people's names. Yes. Yeah. The, the very very preppy names, but. What, why I think I'm so fascinated with all that like like Southern classism is that Corpus Christi was a small enough town that there wasn't as big. You couldn't. My schools didn't have cliques really. They weren't big enough. I went to a magnet school, and what they do is they they have this test. If you score high enough, you're in the magnet program, and it's citywide. But they always put the magnet program in the lowest scoring school to bolster the scores. God. So I went to a very poor middle school. Huh. So there was a, so you could see, I got to see a lot of this firsthand. It made me very aware of, of my privilege and wealth relative to the surrounding community. And then when I went to Georgia, my parents decided to stick me in a private school. And I, I saw how wealthy they were and how little they recognized it. So that was what put me off and made me very fascinated by all that. And then now you're trying to be that. I, guess. I like the style, man. I don't know why. Good. Yep. Good suiting. That's very funny. Ralph Lauren. Also, I love that everyone at my school wore Ralph Lauren. That was the thing. It was very, not very many. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. And I was put off by it. And then I learned that Ralph Lauren's real name was like Lipschitz. Ralph Lorowitz or something like that. Lipschitz. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he changed his name. He's a Jew. I love that all of these wasps who didn't allow Jews in their country club are wearing his clothing. <laughs> that was like that was my David and Goliath story, you know. And I was like, yeah, you're dressed by a Jew. <laughs> I'm, did I mention being Jewish? Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah, we should really yeah. that. <laughs> that part of the bio is true. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, you talk about a little bit about being, you know, disp- uh, you know. Growing up, um, I'm sorry, but your middle school was based in a, in a poor district. Did you grow up fairly wealthy, though? Yes, especially for Corpus Christi. You don't yeah. need much money to be rich in Corpus yeah. Christi, upper <laughs> middle class. But I thought we were at the top of the, the food chain. I thought we, we, we had a two-story house and we had a, a little boat that we could go water skiing on and some dinky river in, in nowhere, Texas. And uh, uh, my dad was a chemist and he, he grew up poor, but he was saved and saved money. So we, I saw more and more as I got, as I got older. Uh, and uh, then I saw what real money looked like. Yeah, <laughs> boy. Did, did uh, did you ever see the movie The Legend of Billie Jean? No, isn't that supposed to take place oh. in Corpus Christi, Texas? Wait, with, the, I think it does. Carell with the, no, 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 no. no. Sorry. It's, it's, it's Billie Jean it's like, King. It's an old '80s movie. <laughs> 
No, this is much different than Billie Jean King. It's like an 80s movie with um, Helen Slater, mm-hmm. and she's like a badass, and they like burn the town down. It's a great like classic 80s karate kid style movie, but really? I'm pretty certain it takes place in corporate Christie, Texas. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's a city. What, what do we have? Selena? Yeah. We claim Selena. Uh, Farrah Fawcett. Yeah. There's a statue of her downtown with, with the, her bio playing on the speakers on loop. She's like, there's a, if there isn't a Selena museum, I'd be surprised. Like, I mean, listen, was, she is, uh, she's considered like this, this holy grail yeah. to, to, to a lot of Mexican yeah. uh, mm-hmm. people. And it's good music too. I mean, it's good music. Yeah. I, I really sad. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's, what was it? The, uh, pays uh, to not have a fan club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that this was the president, right? Yeah. The super dark. She wasn't born in Corpus Christi. She died there so it's oh it's, shit i mean the whole region claims her but like it's yeah it's very sad but she's from texas right like she's, she's from she's, she's from nearby i believe yeah. she was born nearby maybe like victoria or something right. like that but i mean that was uh god i don't how did we get on a tangent selena i'm sorry corpus christi. Corpus christi. Yeah, corpus christi um i mean like what's uh, like so move so so you're in this uh you're in this private school mm-hmm. and these these kids, I mean, are you at the same wealth level as them? No, no. So we couldn't live as, and again, don't feel bad for me, but we, my parents wanted to live farther away. So we were like 20, 30 minutes out. We were, we were deep in the burbs and the schools and the city. And these were people who could live in big houses in the city. Got it. Which, you know, suburban wealth versus actual city wealth. Is, sure. It's so different. Yeah. Um, so they live nearby. So they, I, I. I mean, I, I lacked a lot of social skills, which I would see as the first barrier to my fitting in there, but also not living nearby hurt because no one wanted to come to my place and sure. I didn't want to drive all the, you know, my parents didn't want to drive me out there. And it was a 14 year school. There were 14 year students. It was the, you know, I won't say the name, but yeah. it was, you could go there in pre-K all the way through oh, senior year and they're all on the same campus. So it was. How big of a school? 146 in my high school, my senior class. That's not bad. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's I very small. Yeah, I did. I did. I think mine was like one one seventeen. I went to That's a small. Yeah, I went to a private school. I went to a. Uh, it was Catholic school, rather. Where? Uh, in Sparta, New Jersey. Pope okay. John, go Lions. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that was like my graduating class. But now it's growing. I mean, I'm. I mean, my my area has like exploded in population. Mm-hmm. So I think the last graduate class was like 350, 400 uh, yeah. at that point. Okay. But like one of the things that I, I always had the question is that like, you know, you, you, you grew up in this area. How was, did you, did you, obviously you're not, you know, a, a person of color, but did you notice any racism or any anti-Semitism? Uh, I, not a ton on the anti-Semitism front. Like it, they, they truly just didn't know what Jews were. Yeah. Same with Corpus too. When I was in Corpus, when I would say Jew, people were like, "Don't you, where's the dot on your forehead?" They truly <laughs> had no idea. Someone thought my bar mitzvah was going to be a bris. This is all oh, true. Yeah, that uh, was. I remember that. I remember that that, that misnomer. Uh-huh. I had that misnomer. Corp uh, in 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 Atlanta, they were just curious about it. There, I didn't I didn't feel uh, uh, like particularly picked on for it. Um, they, they had a lot of questions and they found it interesting and they made jokes about it. But those jokes honestly made me feel included. Uh, race things. They're a lot better now. I don't want to disparage my school. I've seen that they've made great efforts to make it a more inclusive environment and, and the diversity has really, really stepped up. And they're working on that then. But private schools in the South started because of segre- desegregation. Sure. They, people who were rich said, I don't want to send my kid to school with black people now that they're allowing a public school. So they started public school, uh, private schools on that basis. Wow. My school, they, they, they didn't hide this. They were ashamed of it, but they didn't seek to hide it. Turned down Martin Luther King the Third. 
Wow. He oh, applied to the school shoot. and, and oh. they, you could read that in the hallways. We're not proud of our legacy and we're working to better that. So there's a general, uh, uh, you know, racism in the South and, and there, were, there were some black students at our school that sat at a table together at lunch. They were, all, they were all on the football team together, but they sat by themselves and they clearly could connect with each other better than they could with, with other people. Sure. There were also plenty of black students who, 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 who seemed to fit in just fine and they were the one or, one or two within each clique. Um, right. I don't know. I would. I would. I would love to hear from. The, I, I've. I've spoken to black classmates who who said they're. They sensed a lot of things. There were a lot of little moments that made them feel very uncomfortable. There were things I caught also behind the scenes. I remember one. One guy told a story about having a black friend over, with uh, among other mother uh, among other groups of people, and his dad was like, "Why'd you do that?" Like, <laughs> wow, really, really horrifying stuff. Wow. Yeah. Well, at least that your school had the self-awareness. Greg, yes. you were in Jersey and then... Yeah, I mean, I went. I grew up in nor way northern Jersey, like as northern as it gets. Like and Alpine money? No, well, <laughs> Saddle River. Saddle River, okay, so, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's and, almost New York. You know, I joke um, that, I, th I honestly, I think we had three less than five black kids in, in school when I was in high school. Wow. And I graduated with a little over 220 kids. Wow. Right, and that, that, that little... And those kids' fathers all were professional athletes. Wow, that was the case what? in my school with at least yeah. one student. Yeah. yeah. So, like, my dad was a sports agent, so a lot of the giants lived in the in the area. And if they're, you know, that's whose kids would go to our schools. Wow. You know, so it wasn't like we had a huge influence. Like there was, it just wasn't right. And then what happened in where I lived in Jersey, a lot of the the companies like Panasonic and Hertz and all yeah. the, like the Asian companies opened up their headquarters by us. Yeah. And our minorities were Chinese kids, Japanese kids, like Korean kids. Like those were like our minorities. And obviously they are, but I'm saying like it wasn't, we just didn't have it. It feels it was, weird when you say our minorities. I'm yeah. just <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I mean. Like it, it just, it was odd. It was yeah. odd. You know, we just didn't have... It's that funny, experience. like uh, the three of us, we really don't have that much, uh, much interaction with minorities because I was the same way growing up. Well, Corpus Sparta, Christi, dude. I sure did. I mean, yeah. I was a minority in Corpus Christi. Right, you yeah, were right. on the other side of it. Well, I mean, I'm Jewish too, right? And and <laughs> yeah. again, but in our town, in our area, there was a lot of us. Like I went to, there was like five temples in the three or four towns, and I probably went to. 20 bar mitzvahs a year from 7th right. and 8th grade. We were also grade. in Jersey. You I know went what I mean? to two. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, like Sparta, you grew up in Sparta. I mean, they no, one. Yeah, one. <laughs> Bradley was after me. David was performing. But then I went to, so I, I was, see, I was never around Jews in Corpus Hort Land, but then right. I went to Jewish summer camp in Texas starting in like fifth grade. And that was the first place I really felt like I fit in. I loved it so much. Really? Yeah, it's just it's just great. You get a chance to reinvent yourself. There's not enough time to form cliques. Right. There's not enough people to form cliques, so everyone gets along. And they and Jewish summer camps uh, actually try to encourage romance. So it's really? unlike Christian summer camps where they try to like kind of pry right. you apart. Yeah. Uh, Jewish yeah. summer camps they, I, they they look the other way. I went to a mainly Jewish summer camp in Florida uh, for a year. Or a summer, and it recently, was, no, I'm <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd be in jail. It was um, a golf camp, uh -huh. right, at like a resort hotel. So I had I lived in a hotel room with one other kid in my 
room for the entire summer. Yo, these and guys all have we did money. Was play golf. Wow. <laughs> right? And like, but what you're saying is, it was basically like, go, you guys all go and like hang out with the girls. No one's going to say anything. Like, they're not going to prevent you from doing anything. Like, there was tons of mixers. It was like a friggin' free for all mm-hmm. on a on a country club in Florida for a wow. bunch of 14 and 15 year olds. So wait yep. a second. You're saying that like, I mean, they, they, they encourage romances. Like, uh, wasn't anybody scared of like teen pregnancy and things that? We're nature? Jews. It's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's never going. There's to happen. a wall, John. There's just we don't have the we don't we're just too nervous and feel too weird about our bodies to like ever. Yeah, no, no one had. We full on could have, but no one ever did. <laughs> right, had right. sex. Uh, all what, what, what fascinates me is I hear this. I've, I've never heard about it in Florida, but in the Northeast a lot. People will say I went to a summer camp. I'll say Jewish. That would go. Mostly. Right. In Texas, you would never have Jews just happen to be together. Right. It had to explicitly be Jewish for it to be mostly Jews. Really? If we if you ever looked around and be like, oh what a coincidence, we're all Jewish, it's it, it's likely a terrorist attack that someone <laughs> organized to kill you all. And that's a soundbite. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. But yeah, I mean like that's a that's a fascinating thing. People people in like New Jersey I went to a Jewish camp. I mean I went to a camp that was ninety percent Jewish and I'm like and it didn't have a Hebrew name. Like, yeah. No, but we would have, you know, Shabbat services. That's wild to me that's such a foreign concept wow you're listening to another episode of the mangina dialogues podcast part of the storic media podcast network and brought to you by corona premiere now available on draft yeah i i went to uh, well i grew up with uh well i didn't grow up but like when i was a teenager uh some of our best friends growing up were jewish mm-hmm. so i actually went along to like solomon Schechter on Shabbat weekends and things mm-hmm. of that nature. And so like, you know, they were like, yeah, if you want to take part, you know, in Shabbat dinner. And I did, I had a great time. Um, I, I don't remember them being like, yeah, you guys should all fuck with <laughs> That was the card under the plate. <laughs> yeah, it <was> like, yeah. <laughs> but in general, like I, I get so fascinated, especially like these different backgrounds. I mean, Greg and I, we kind of grew up pretty much almost, I mean, we're almost neighbors, you know. Yeah. Uh, only that that far from each other. But then Matthew, you were also in Houston as well. I went to college in Houston. Yes, you went to uh, Rice. Rice, and for math, applied math. Yeah, applied math. Excuse me, applied math. I mean, <laughs> you, you should you should be excused. Yeah, I, I mean, they call me a fucking nerd. <laughs> what is this? So wait a second. Pure math major. <laughs> I got a C in social <laughs> studies. Dork, you take me for. <laughs> so what do you? I mean. Listen, and I know you've probably asked this, been asked a million times, but like for our listeners, how do you go from math to comedy? And I don't know why I said comedy like that. <laughs> I don't. It's all the Jewish it's summer just, camp talk. Uh, well, can I can I can I rewind here? Sure. For a second? Rice is a really nerdy school. It's an academically prestigious school. I think I barely got in, so I, I felt very fortunate for that. But I went from being kind of an outcast at a school full of of good looking jocks. Uh, very socially adept. And then something happened around my senior year of high school where I started getting taller and I started swimming. And I, I remember that summer I was in the sun a lot. And when I got to Rice, I was tall and bronze wow. with this, this, this sun, sun-bleached hair. And, and it was at a school full of nerds. So it, it felt like this complete reversal and I had to readjust the, the, the assessment of myself. <laughs> I was like, how did I go from being a nerd among jocks to a jock among nerds? Right, and I, right. I didn't, it took me a long time to realize how I had to behave differently because my behavior was more easily off-putting 
for the the new vessel I possess. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I was perceived as 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 fratty and 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 douchey as some kind of like party jock guy, which was such a such a we- weird uh, funhouse mirror. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So wait, so so. And that, I was a poor student in college, so they just he was this dumb guy. Yeah, right. That, that you got in yeah. there for swimming. There's a great. I, I didn't swim in college. I oh, didn't swim. Way. No, no. There's yeah, no men's team. I, I managed the women's team, so ah, I was swimming okay. a lot, but just just for fun. There's wait a, a second. Great picture. You managed the women's swim team. Yeah, I, was big, big, I am and was a big fan of swimming, and it had a, had a great scholarship with it. So. So you got a scholarship for managing the women's uh-huh. swim team. How do you get a scholarship for that? I approached the coach. I uh, I talked to the coach when I when I got in. I went and visited the school and uh, talked to the coach, and he was like, "We'll let you know if the position's available." And right. then during orientation week, I snuck out of activities to go swim one morning, and the coach was there. It's like, "Oh, you're that guy. Yeah, someone just dropped. You want it?" And it paid for so much. Wow. Schooling. I had to tell you, if I'm the swimming coach and and a dude walked up to me and it's like, "Hey." I would like to be <laughs> the manager of the swim team, right? And it's what you described as what you looked like in college. Yeah. I'd be thinking, I don't know. This seems like there's something else to this. Yeah, but there's a good yeah, awkward did, photo of Matthew yeah. from like, I don't know, your old high school that I used one time on a flyer and you had your head shaved, I believe. And you had That like, was, yeah, I guess my senior year. But that was what I looked like in high school. Yeah, and that was a little awkward. I'm not going to yeah, lie. Like, gangly, yeah. pale, yeah. I mean, everybody looked gangly and pale in high school. I looked, I looked looked like a like a nearly frostbite victim. I looked like the corpse on the table of Law and Order. My lips were blue. I was I had shaved my head. Yeah. I have yeah. friends that would kill for that role. Oh God! I, I you know I, you know it's funny. I see people from high school recently just because like you know we're doing a lot of stuff at the club. They're like, you haven't changed a bit, and I'm like, I grew a beard <laughs> and I lost an eye. Like, <laughs> But it's like, uh, but I mean, do you still talk to any friends from like high school and college? I mean, college, yes. College, yes. Uh, high school, I don't see as many people. Right. No, uh, and I wish them all the best. I mean, they're 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 all. It's funny is I don't remember. There's a lot of people I don't remember being that academically ambitious in high school who are now very successful. And I think it's just that I think when when money became a factor, they became very motivated people. It's how their family got to that position, and right. they carry that in them. And so how do you go from applied math to being like, you know what, let's, let's do comedy. So I, I was, I had never considered anything but math. I was, I was, I was, uh, I showed some ability at math pretty young. My parents were both scientists, so I was pushed towards that and I really liked it. So it was always a subject I, I put a lot of effort into and got rewards out of. And my, my parents were very practical people and, and told me explicitly, you'll never be, You'll never make money off of your looks. You're not going to make money off your social skills. It's your analytic ability that's going to be your career. So, so push at that. You can right. do other stuff, but you're an academic. We're an academic family. So it was. I, I had never dreamed of doing anything. I mean, my my range of of job possibilities was maybe a math teacher on one end, and then like an engineer on the other end. So that was the spectrum of of possibilities I saw. And a year out of college, I was I had a kind of a. a, a a slacker job. I wasn't that ambitious. I found I found work. Uh, didn't have much aim, and and more or less saw a flyer for an open mic, and realize realized through a series of conversations, comedy was not a thing you needed a background in. Right. You didn't have to have a degree in it. You didn't have to start at a young age. So it was like, well, if there's anything I can do outside of this range, it's this, and it's I have to start now. Right. So I was very motivated right away. What like your parents? Are they 
like what do they say now like do they still like, uh, do they give you the typical like jewish mom jewish grandma yes. like when are you gonna give up the comedy and go yes. be a financial analyst at she wants me to quit still yeah. uh, my dad <laughs> passed my dad passed in 2016 he was starting to get it he right. was happy for me and, and seeing that it was paying and seeing that I was I was doing well with it, and he said he said at one point, I can't understand exactly what's happening, right. but I can hear your excitement about it, and, right. and that makes me happy. That's so as good. long as you're stable, and both of them, all they want from me is stability, right? Of course, and that's the the one thing they have against it. They don't they don't mind my material, right? They don't uh, they don't have any problems with what I'm doing. They just wish I had something more. Did stable. Did your mom watch the roasts? The, the, the no. roast battles, but she just she she always says, I don't get it. I don't right. think you're funny. I don't understand. <laughs> Oh. Yeah. Oh. Which fair, if I'm making her laugh, what that's not they're also my parents are both humorless people. Right. Just not funny people. Okay. Yeah. Oh, oh that hurts so much to hear that. It makes me better, I hope. Yeah. I guess. I mean like it's Which is funny because I performed downstairs to a bunch of Jewish moms. Yeah. Like, that's that's my kind of crowd. It really is. I really kill I really love performing for older Jewish crowds. You kill so hard. Oh thank you. Downstairs on that, Saturday. That was a lot of the room in Shabbos. Connecticut. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's unbelievable, like the, the, the different crowds, but like but you're you're pretty flexible because we can put you you can go and do a room of like college kids, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? But then you can also like turn it around and you could you could do a Modi crowd or like uh, or an Elon Gold crowd, you know what I mean? Um, but without the, I mean, did you grow up listening to stand up? Um, there, I did when I could, when it was on, I would definitely, I loved it so much. Um, Carlin was the first special I listened to. Um, it, when Dane came around, obviously I was sure. into that. And then I discovered Tosh, really loved that. And then Louie, um, I think those were like the big ones. Oh, and Bamford. Maria Bamford. Bamford along mm -hmm. the way, high school and High school and college, I got. Into, I remember buying Bamford's album and just thinking she was so wonderful. You know what's funny? I still can't get into her. Like, I think I, I understand. Listen to the old stuff because huh. now it's a little more experimental, which you can sure. appreciate if you've seen where it built from. Because got she it. had such a club act. Mm -hmm. her, her material is all about being an outcast, but you can cl clearly tell of like the this voices, kills anywhere. The voices were great. You know, yes. when she would turn it on and off, like uh, for like what she would do to like. Her, I guess her, her, her customer service voice. Like, mm -hmm. I always loved those kind of things. But then I remember watching the special that she just did for her parents. Yes. And I couldn't, I, I mean, listen, maybe it was, but I understood why it was funny, but I just couldn't. You need, you need to be told where the laughs yes, are. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You should watch her new one because that's when she starts performing for, I think, just two people. And then suddenly it switches and there's five people and then she moves to another place and now there's 10 people in a living room and now it's 20 people in the oh, back of a, of a restaurant and then she's, it ends in a theater. Wow. And then it, well, I won't, I won't spoil it, but okay. you get to see just how, how adaptive she is. Sure. Yeah. And, and do you, I mean, if you, if you, is, do you feel that you're adaptive as well? I mean, listen, I, I mean, I know the answer to this. I, you've done shows for two people at one of the best clubs in the city, uh, just recently. <laughs> and then you also have done shows for like 10 people at a bar, 20 people in the park, and you've done, you've opened for Mulaney. I mean... Mm -hmm. Thank you. Where, uh, where, like, <laughs> like, where do you like? Do you do you feel that you can adapt anywhere? And I listen. I know the I know the answer, but please. I will try. I will try for any room. And while I'm on stage, I can't make excuses for myself. While I'm on stage, I have to do the best performance I can do for them. And only after I get off the stage can I start to blame the crowd. I'll allow myself to blame the crowd after, but while you're on stage, you have to be like, what's the way to get the most laughs yeah. without being a hack? Right. Um, and uh, I, I think one of my approaches early on was I was somewhat cleaner 
and I would get offered these shows that paid a little bit of money. Like when I was like, you're into co- co- comedy, I would make a hundred dollars because someone needed an opener for like a fundraiser for cops or something like yeah. that. And I would, I realized I had, if I looked at my act and just pulled out the clean stuff, I had it. And learning to treat it like a job, learning to, you know, when, when you, you, you have to re- realize that some of the performances are gonna pay and some of the performances you have to do aren't about your art, aren't about doing the best set that you love the most. You do have to entertain people when you're, you know, it's, it's work. When yeah. you're featuring, you have to do a set that, you know, does well, but also does the headliner appreciate what you're doing? Should you go cleaner for the headliner? Uh, the wait staff, the club manager, you have to make sure you're within all of their boundaries, but still doing what you want to do. So treating it like a job and, and knowing that the art comes second sometimes, and then when you're headlining, you get to do whatever you want, then, then, that's, then you've trained in all those other constraints when the weights come off, and you're in front of your crowd, you get that's that's the fun part. Right. That's when it's not a job anymore. It's, right. Yeah, it's funny. I, I I think a lot of guys don't realize that when they're certainly when they're featuring for someone, mm-hmm. you know, or opening for someone, you know, on a on a big stage, that they their job is very specific. You know, like and we I had this great conversation with Lisa Lampanelli a couple of weeks ago about her new show and when she's picking headliners because she has a reputation of not getting along with her headliners. I mean, I mean her uh, openers. Openers, yeah. And it's all because she she needs to be the star, right? Like you want that that headliner needs to be the star and that person who's featuring or opening, whatever, has to understand where their place is, right? And I think a lot of people, certainly in the newer comics or you know guys coming up, don't really get that sometimes. Mm-hmm. And to understand that it is a job you know, you have a very specific job, yeah. right? And you have to understand the room you're in and what you're, what that particular performance is about to do that job successfully. No different if you're a waitstaff or, yep. you know, you're an accountant, you know, you have to take it to a different level depending on what's in front of you at that time. Or a so, graphic designer. It doesn't matter what you're able to draw, you need to draw right. what they ask you to draw. 100%. And I 100%. think there's virtue to that. And I also started doing college shows about two years into comedy. Right. I got fired from my job and I, I booked a couple NACAs and I was like, oh, I need to, I need to, make money off of this so right. this isn't about just going up there and doing what i want to do and and you know losing bookings over saying edgy jokes right right, right. so it's yeah funny, i've had that conversation with some guys who are like i got to get into the, the college circuit and i'm like then you need to be really understanding of your material really? <laughs> like, like if you don't really understand your what material do you, what do you say to those people that that i mean listen obviously the, the 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 schism in the last couple of you know weeks and months and even the year has been you know what is comedy like is something going too far like, I, I, there are a lot of people that try to hide behind stand-up comedy as an art form that you can do whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. But there has to be some kind of moderation. Like, I mean, the person that's going to yell the N-word right. on stage, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't find that as stand-up comedy. Do you know what I mean? It's got to work in the material. I, I, say whatever you want to on stage. I really, I'm not going to attack people's material. Uh, for what they do on stage. I really understand that you have to fail sometimes and you have to step out of line. But Daniel Tosh summed it up so perfectly. He was addressing in one of his specials the rape joke controversy. And he said, I say outrageous shit for a living. Sometimes it blows up in my face. And when you look at it as a risk reward payoff of like, yeah, you say stuff like that. 
you're going to get that immediate, yeah. that noise in the room. You're going to get a certain type of fan base who's going to come out to see you. But once every year or two, someone's going to write an article about it and you're going to get some college shows and corporate gigs canceled. Yep. So you, you get some, you lose some as a result of that. Or, or if you go completely clean, you might not make as intensive fans, but you can make a lot of money off yep. of corporate shows and cruises. Tons. So choose where you want to fall on that risk reward spectrum and, right. and stop complaining about it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, 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 oh, I'm so upset that we're being, ah. Uh, yeah. You're not. No one's no one's grabbing the microphone from you on stage, or, or if they are, it's because they're paying you, right? And you didn't follow the contract. Sure. <laughs> you got to play the game, I guess. Yeah. And, and one of the things is that, like, I always thought to myself, I I, I hate saying that idea of that playing the game uh, kind of concept, but at the same time, like, I don't just work for the con. Uh, I don't work for the comics. I work for whoever's in the room, right. essentially mm -hmm. at yep. that that moment. You know, we book not on what our tastes are. And sure. Greg, we had this conversation yeah. a couple of times as well about like what we think, you know, what we will put on stage. And there's been a couple of times where I've been like, I don't really want to do this, but I have to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I, I struggle with that every day, but I, the, the, the ultimate person that is paying my bills is that customer that's walking sure. in here tonight yeah. for a two drink minimum. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. all about the audience. It's, I mean, you're, you're programming to what the audience is, whether you're the performer or the booker or the room. You know, if you if you're not programming the right material, the the right comics that night, you're losing. Yep. You know, so you got to adjust. You have to be willing to adjust to to succeed. I I think like I I do. I have a conversation all the time with several people, including John, about not booking to my taste. If I book to my taste every night then what what am i doing i'm i'm not developing i mean it would all be a roseanne bar it all the would time, be roseanne right? bar and <laughs> <laughs> carrot top you know <laughs> and we'd be fucked he's a very nice no, guy no carrot top, top is, is great i've nice. seen the show i he's think great. it i think it's he's hysterical. Really sweet. like yeah. i he gets way too hard of a rub like i, I don't get it like, yeah but that you know, let's see that's, like, what, that's it, yeah cuz he makes money and everyone i know of course yeah, exactly. of course and, if you're looking to talk shit on you you make money and then you can just fan yourself with 100 dollars i know jeff die had this funny bit where we did the show in la which thanks for coming uh, Greg, um, but he comes. You get out one there. UTI, Matthew. Yeah. One <laughs> he UTI. He comes out there and he goes. He goes. He goes. Oh yeah, it's been really tough. I don't know how tough it is on Joe Coy that he only was able to do three specials this year on Netflix <laughs> and Ali Wong. And I was like, what of Asians you're talking about, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> but Matthew, what? Uh, uh, I mean, listen. This is a segment that I just kind of wanted to get started. All right, and Go for this it. is what I want to call. I, I want I, I know what's coming. All right. What was the best thing you ate this week? Where was I just? Um, I so had. I, uh, I was at a private gig and there were hors d'oeuvres and they had blueberry brie, baked brie, and that was Ooh. outrageously Ooh. good. It was like a little. It was like the size of like a you know like a Triangle. shredded mini wheat. Yeah. It was. It was rectangular. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it was a little bitter, but so interesting tasting. Well, that means that if it's bitter, that means that they're probably fresh blueberries, yeah. I'm assuming. Oh, yes. That. Yeah. yeah. I thought so, it was the brie, but that makes more sense. Yeah. And then yeah. the phyllo crust, the mm -hmm. phyllo crust around Yes. Very oh, fluffy, very cr crumbly. God. Yes. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, I just. I, and I didn't pay for it. <laughs> so so it tasted even better. Yep. Tasted even Greg, better. best thing you ate this week? It's a very tough call. So I'm. I know we're pressed on time, so I can't even get into the African food I had for, for Passover. Oh. We'll have to do that a second I saw, time. I saw the picture. Um, Put the picture up on Menjana. Uh, yeah, I've done it. I will. It's it's ridiculous. It's so my good. my in-laws family are all North African, mm. and we're Jewish, and the food is just out of control. What's North African? Like Moroccan? Libya. Oh, yeah, Libya, it's like okay. a Moroccan flair, but it's oh. like Libyan, wow, and food. one side of the family is Iraqi, so... It's wild, mm -hmm. and but it's unbelievable. It's like a combination Moroccan, Indian, Italian, like mm -hmm. sits in the middle. It's crazy. But leaving that aside for now, 
it was that avocado sandwich I had the other day with you at um, wherever the hell we were. That was the best thing I ate this Where week. Where was it? What? Wherever we ate the other day for lunch. Oh, Sarabeth. Uh, Sarabeth, yeah. Sarabeth was good. Yeah. Um, best thing I ate this week was I got back from Miami and I was eating a lot of lechon asado mm-hmm. over there. And I was craving it when I got back. And so when I got back from Maine, I actually made lechon asado. What is that? That is roast pork that's been marinated in orange, lime, chilies. And then it's like slow roasted for like under 325 for like five, six hours. Just nice, like a, like, like a fatty cut too, so it all drips off. It disintegrates. Yeah, it disintegrates. It's and then disintegrates. I put it with, uh, then I made like, I just did some boxed rice essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, like Spanish rice, and that was the best thing I ate all week. And then I made the mojo sauce with the garlic and everything like that. So <sighs> most of my like messages to John is just straight fuck off. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Seeing the food pics, I'm like, yeah. fuck you, man. That's how it goes. I mean, I, I mean, I was able to cook for Matthew already. I cooked for you New Year's good. Eve. Um, we traded food. We traded foods. We're going to be yeah. trading foods together. We're going to do this a lot. But Matthew, what do you got uh, coming up, man? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to be in Detroit at Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle April Sick. 8th through 11th, I believe. Maybe, yeah, 8th through 11th. And then I'm going to be at Magoobies Ooh. outside of Baltimore April yeah. 22nd through 24th. So check out those. April 22nd, 24th. Nice. I'm actually going to be there top of May. My sister's getting an award. Oh, cool. So, but we'll come from, maybe I'll come down. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have some fun. We'll it's have a $29 some fun. Dollar Amtrak. Oh, well, drive, you know. Oh, okay. (laughs) Greg, anything else, man? I'm driving to Florida Friday. (laughs) You're driving. What? Driving? Yeah. My mom. You're driving there Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's how long. It's probably Friday to Saturday. Okay. And my mom's moving, so taking her down. That's the excitement I've got coming on this week. So, anyway, Matthew, really, thank you for hanging with us, especially on John's first show with me. Excited. Excited Um, to hear more episodes. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be great. He. Well, yeah, definitely, uh, guys. If you want, uh, check out uh, Matthew on all social media yep. at Monday Punday. That's M O N D A Y P U N D A Y as well. Check out MatthewBroussard.com, Is it or yes? Got it. Yes, yeah. for show dates, MatthewBroussard.com. Oh, no, no, Broussard.live. Broussard.live. <laughs> MatthewBroussard.com is a sculptor. Ah, yes. <laughs> that's right. But Broussard.live is show dates. Ah. And uh, Mangina, the Mangina Dialogues everywhere. Yeah. Dot com, Instagram, Twitter, the world. Guys, and I need lots of followers. I want to beat Greg and followers, actually. That's my goal <laughs> for the next 10 episodes. I'm <laughs> at B O R E M A Y O. Borromeo, spelled phonetically. We need to beat him. All right. I don't know what he's at right now, but we are totally. 10 9. Fuck. That's really tough. <laughs> <laughs> Swipe up. <laughs> Swipe up link. Definitely works. Swipe Definitely up. Works. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much. Keep it crispy.